As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Today's episode of 4 to 6 with A&B is brought to you by Robinhood. With Robinhood, you can invest in stocks, options, and ETFs right from your phone. You can even spend and earn interest on uninvested cash. And with fractional shares, you can buy stocks in any amount, including companies like Apple, Amazon, and Tesla, for as little as $1. And that's with no commission fees or account minimums. So whether you're new to investing and ready to learn, or just looking for a better experience, stop waiting and join the 10 million Robinhood users. Listeners can get started with a free stock by going to 4to6.robinhood.com. That's 4to6.robinhood.com. All investments involve risk. This is not investment advice, a recommendation, or a solicitation of any security. Other fees may apply. Visit rbnhd.co slash fees. The free stock program is subject to certain limitations. Annual percentage yield or uninvested cash is paid by program banks and is variable. Robinhood Financial is not a bank. culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. Uh, the plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to the latest edition of four to six with A and B. Uh, I'm here with Bill Landis back in his office together. Does it feel good, Bill? Yeah, we haven't been in here in a while. Before the Fiesta Bowl was the last time we were in here. Like the week before, I think. Yeah. Because you had gone out of town earlier for to see your family, I think, for a few days. So we haven't been, yeah, we have not been in this uh, cramped, stuffy fart smelling room with the heat on in quite a while does it feel good to be with me again like in my presence because we were talking about this this is the i went on a family vacation to europe with uh my parents and brother in 2016 i think i think it was or 15 and that was the longest time bill and i have gone without seeing each other until this last month and it was it was tough for me how did you hang in there you know i persevered uh Yeah, I was pretty. I was pretty good. Pretty even killed the entire time. Well, I'm in your office, and I see you've got a new pair of NMDs. Are you like a low key sneakerhead? No, I don't even know what you're talking about. Those red Adidas right there. Uh, 
I just bought them because I thought they were cool. I don't know anything about them. They're oh. like trendy Adidas. Yeah, I like them. They're comfortable. But you buy shoes a lot. I buy shoes too much. Yeah. I so get bored with my shoes. I'm not a sneakerhead because I don't know anything about sneakers, but I have a lot of sneakers. I don't have like Jordans. I have like New Balance sneakers and Adidas sneakers, and sometimes I buy Nike. But I just feel I like every Jordan. time I see you, you're you have a Jordan that. collection, don't you? Yeah, it hasn't been added on to in six years, though. I'm done with it. Just in my closet. I'm going to try to sell them eventually. I just haven't gotten around you to it. You have a space here to do it. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. You might get fired. Oh, you mean like our podcast? Yeah. Email me if you definitely uh, don't try to sell your Jordans. If you, especially if you wear nine and a half and have, yeah, we wouldn't want that to happen. Pristine Elevens from 2011. Okay. Um, Email me. Uh, Today is the projection of the defensive depth chart. Last week we went about an hour talking about the offense. Before we get into that, uh, two things. One, Kerry Combs on the road um, last week in Muskegon, Michigan, closes the deal on Cameron Martinez. Kind of reminds everybody what it's like to have Kerry Combs on staff, and he did it in such a short time period. A very significant commitment to end the 2020 class. Um, What's your take on just seeing Kerry Combs in action and and Ohio State being able to lock up somebody it seemed like for a while they were going to lose out on? I thought it was good. I try try not to make too too much of these things. Like He was committed. And I'm not trying to short sell it because I think he's an important player. They're like people love this kid, and you went and saw him too. Like he's a three star athlete, but he was a player of the year in Michigan multiple multiple times, and he's been moved up to four. Yeah, so he's a good player. They needed him because they needed more guys in the secondary, and I think it's really good that Kerry Combs had like an instant impact and went and secured this commitment. And I think that's kind of just what it is. Like I don't it's do like, you think that I went overboard with the story I wrote? A little bit, yeah. You did, yeah. It's so it happens every time something, and you're not. I'm, I'm not. It happens. We all do it. We cover. No, Ohio no. State. Attack me. I want to hear. I'm not atta- Ohio State's good. We all cover Ohio State. When Ohio State does good things, we act like it's the greatest thing that's ever happened in the history of football. And like it can just be a good thing, and that can be it. It was a good thing. It was great that Ohio State that kept him. That, well, I was in I that lane. It's, I don't think it's 100 percent validation that Ryan Day made the right move because they still have to play football. I think it will be the right move. But I can't. Yeah. I don't think you can just look at. Oh, they kept Cam Martinez. Everything's fine. That's a very interesting Let's take because I feel like if you had to like think about like is Ohio State going to be okay playing football or because with this new position hire or is Ohio State going to be okay in the recruiting department like coming into it blindly? Which one do you think would be the bigger question mark with Kerry Combs? The football part of it. Really? Yeah, he's an awesome recruiter. That doesn't change. Like his personality didn't change. I had no doubts about him as a recruiter. I know, but being on the I bench, I don't have and doubts not, about him as not a, recruiting for two or three years, and it's then a, coming it's like back riding the, the bike, game. baby. I know, but like he was also an awesome coach. But I guess like he his position changed. Yeah, it's not, it's not that I think he's a bad coach. It's that he's in a role he's never been in before, and I, I'm just I, I think I've said it before. I just try very hard not to assume everything is going to be awesome about Ohio State. Usually, it is. But I just try not to assume that it is going to be. I, try I think to, there's more yeah. interesting discussion when you have a little doubt about it. I think ass- assuming that things are going to be great is boring anyway. Um, assuming worst case scenarios and discussing problematic things I think is entertaining. And I think that's part of the reason why our podcast got off to such a bang uh, with my Justin Fields negativity. And it turned out to be really wrong. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know if I was overboard. And I appreciate you saying that. Um, I just don't know. Based on what we know about Kerry Combs and um, Jeff Halfley and stuff, I just don't know if Cameron Martinez would have been kept if they would have hired somebody not like him. Like I, I think, think it, that's I think fair. it, I think I think it took, and maybe I should have 
now that we're talking about it out loud, I think it, it probably makes sense to maybe have explained that a little bit more in the story. And I'm not sure if I did that, but I think that his dynamic personality and his familiarity with Ohio state and the fact that he is coming home and all the things that go into that Kerry Combs cocktail, if you will, mm-hmm. was part of the reason. Cause for a while there, I thought he was gone. I don't know if I ever thought he was gone. I, and it's probably because we all just assumed they were going to get Kerry Combs and it would have been fine. If yeah. they would have hired somebody else, I would have had more doubt. But I had I had a pretty high or pretty high level of faith that Kerry Combs was going to keep Cam Martinez. And and it is important because I think perception matters. You don't want to have a coaching change, stand at a podium and say, like, I got the best last time, I'm going to get the best this time, and then like lose the guy who was unsure about that. So I think it matters from that. And, and he's a good football player. I'm not trying to, to, to poo-poo yeah. what happened. I just think it's not – 100% proof home run we did it again because they yeah. had a Cam Martinez. Yeah, well, the idea of the football thing is interesting. I'll give you that. Um, I thought that the whole point of whether or not this hire was going to matter was whether or not they could continue to do this and on the recruiting trail. And let's be honest, Ohio State absolutely needed a defensive closer. Mm-hmm. Like they needed I mean, they, they can get all the offensive players they want in the world, and I do feel like they have for the most part. Yeah, I mean, getting four top sixty-five receivers is pretty insane, and we joked a little bit about this yesterday via text. But um, is it via or via? What's the right way to say that? Via sounds cor- or is correct, but via sounds. Like I say via. Via text about how big of a jump that C.J. Stroud made the quarterback commitment in the latest rankings. Um, but then there is some concern from some people, and I guess we'll get into that when we get into the depth chart stuff, about the fact that Ohio State's defensive back commits, um, now that Clark Phillips signed with Utah, are all in the like 150 to 300 range in the rankings in terms of national overall ranking, yeah. and that there isn't a lot of top-end, high-end firepower the way there was in the 17 class when they had to reload. Um, and I'm wondering if you think, you know, we'll get to that, if that's a problem or not, but to me, I think Kerry Combs and the continuation of having a closer on defense makes him the right hire. Unless you think that he's going to mess up the defense so bad that like it's going to be... Not that you think that, but if yeah. you think that's a potential for that to happen, where things are going to go wrong on defense. I think the defense is going to be worse than this year because they've got worse players. Yeah, I don't, I don't think... Uh... I don't know what I think. I don't really have any reason to think anything. I Again, I just don't want to be like, oh, Kerry Combs is here. He was great last time. He'll be great this time in a totally different role that he's never done before. But I like Greg Madison. I think the way he restructured the defense worked really well last year. That's not going to change. Kerry Combs has proven himself to be adaptable throughout his career, both at Ohio State and in the NFL. So I would have a high level of optimism for sure. Depth chart time. But first... Before we guys can we give you the goods, we want to thank you, A, for listening to 4 to 6 with A and B, and we want to beg you <laughs> to rate, subscribe, and review everywhere um, that you get our show, which is either Spotify, likely, or Apple. Um, really good ratings, and Bill and I always read them and laugh at each other, so if you want to be funny, be funny. I, I, I get a kick out of the funny ones. I love the funny ones. I like anything that's a five-star and, yeah, but I do appreciate the five star bills a shithead. I'll take that, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> say what I don't care. Say whatever you want. Yeah, um, and of course, if you're not actually subs- don't, I have thin skin. Bill I, does. I've I seen get, him cry. I get upset. There was one that I'm still convinced in somebody you paid somebody to write. Which one? Uh, the one that like compares you to the voice of our generation. Oh yeah, here it is. 
<clears throat> Woody Hayes, Jim Trestle, Urban Meyer, Ari Wasserman. This is the Ohio State University <laughs> Mount Rushmore. There's nothing I can say about Ari Wasserman's writing skills that haven't already been said about Mitch Albom in 2016. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. That's from someone who who uh, made their name Steve Belisari, and their comment was the single greatest podcast ever created. And I'm pretty sure it's just your dad. Yeah. No, my dad the is last more... line. It's it's a full paragraph about how awesome you are, and then the last line says, "Oh, and Bill Landis is okay too." <laughs> if I were to pay somebody, that's how I would pay them to end it. I know. I'm, I'm, yeah. I mean, for all I know, you wrote it. Yeah. How could I do that? I have my account. You can make your name whatever you want. You can give. I already your... reviewed it under my name. Oh, you did. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Was oh, eleven. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. um, that may or may not have been my best friend. We'll see. Um, Either way, it was five stars. It's like yeah, five stars. Um, but of course, the number one goal of the athletic, besides getting you to rate, review, uh, chastise Bill, and pat me on the back, is to subscribe to the athletic for our work at www.theathletic.com slash four dash six. Get forty percent off there uh, to your subscription. And that's what we're really going for. So thanks so much for listening, and we're going to get back into the show. Bill. Wow, that was loud. Bill. There you go. I'm trying to be like Doug. Bill. Wow. People are listening to this, man. Doug you're making, you're making John John Hayes, our producer's job, harder by screaming to the microphone. Well, on our last podcast, I feel like I was under-talking, so I'm trying to, like, I want you're, to be no, on the same. you're overcompensating. I'm overcompensating. But what position group do you want to start with? We're going to be projecting the... Entire defense, and it's not like offense. I think they're more chunky. Do you want to like? Let's uh, start on the back end at cornerback. Okay. Do you want to do like secondary or corner safety? Let's do. uh, We'll do it this way. We'll do uh, back end first, then we'll go up to the front and do the defensive line, and then we'll finish with linebackers. Okay, but what I'm asking is, is do we corner? Do we break them up by corner and then break it up by safety? Corner, yeah, corner and safety. Not special teams then first. Special teams is pretty straightforward. I don't think we need to really talk about okay, that. Okay, safety. Um, starter, because there's only one safety, right? Correct. Um, and we have, well, we'll get into the discussion with the cornerbacks, but you've got two outside cornerbacks and you have um, the nickel the nickel cornerback. Um, Slot corner, whatever you want to call and it. And I think that's going to be an interesting discussion, but the starting safety I think is as relatively straightforward as it possibly can be. We have Josh Proctor. He got his first extended time in the one high safety look um, in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, didn't go great. Didn't go great. No, and for somebody who's been constantly compared to Malik Hooker, I didn't see Malik Hooker out there. But I don't know. Like, it kind of reminded me a little bit of, you know, some of the other situations where young. I mean, I guess he's not that young anymore. He's a junior now. He'll be a young, junior this year. Young players get in for the first time in bowl games, like Von Bell did, and you know, have some plays, but have some ones they want back, and then they come back the following year and are really good. But yeah. like, what did you? Did you think that like? What you saw in the Fiesta Bowl from jo- uh, Josh Proctor was more of a, uh-oh, he might not be as good as people think he is, or that's a young guy getting his first extended time. I know he played in the Big Ten Championship game, too, but it was like, welcome to the game, kid. You know, Learn quickly, because next year you're going to be a stud. I think it was more just a young guy in a, in a, in a new spot, not performing all that well. I've, I don't have uh, really like red flags up about it or anything. It kind of reminded me a little bit of, I think... I always get this confused. Garyon Conley in 2014 when they played at Michigan State, I think Eli Apple was hurt. Yeah, he got torched, didn't he? And Garyon Conley was in for like the first two drives and they just like kept throwing at him and he couldn't cover anybody. And Eli Apple, I think had an injured hamstring and was like on the sideline in the exercise bike and they had to bring him into the game when they I don't think they wanted to play him because Garyon Conley wasn't ready to play that day. 
Um, and this kind of reminded me of that. Josh Proctor had been on the field before, but never really in, in such a high leverage moment as he was in the playoff. And then like put in a position to make a play, which was stop Trevor Lawrence running in the middle of the field. He couldn't do it. And it cost him a touchdown. Um, and obviously it wasn't a good thing, but I don't, I, that doesn't portend bad things for, for Josh Proctor necessarily. I just think it's a learning experience. I don't think his teammates would throw around the name Malik Hooker like flippantly unless they saw a lot of flashes of him doing similar type things in practice. And obviously translating it from practice to the game is, is a difficult thing. And we, I think he, he had that pick in the, in the, was it the FAU game where he kind of was playing center field and came over. I think he's going to be pretty good. I think he's very explosive. And they have not had a guy who I would call explosive on the back end of their defense since Malik Hooker. Since Hooker, yeah. Like a guy who intimidates you. A little bit. So I think it'll be fine. And the, But who the, do they need him to be? Do they need him to be Millie Cooker or do they need him to be Jordan Fuller? Probably more like the, that position in this defense is like more of an eraser than he is sort of a center fielder. Um But part of that too is how teams want to attack defenses or how teams want to attack Ohio State's defense. And it's not like teams were trying to push the ball down the field on Ohio State all year. I think it was just hard to do that with the way they played coverage and the way they got after quarterbacks. Now, maybe it'll be different this year, and we'll talk about the defensive line later, but if they're not generating as much pressure or they're not as scared of someone as they were of Chase Young, then maybe they feel a little more emboldened to throw the ball down the field, and then that position becomes a more of a blend of eraser and center fielder. I know that they they kind of changed their defensive strategy a little bit towards the end of the year to cope with what they were going to face against Clemson because they didn't face that talent in the regular season. But sometimes I wonder... Is it a coaching mishap when a player's first experience is in a game like that? Like first drawn out experience or you just go, you know what? This is the best chance for us to win a football game. Throw him out there. We have confidence in him and let him learn on the fly. Because it's like to me, it's like, is there any way they could have let Proctor play more in tense moments or more in situations Um to make sure that he was more equipped to handle that because a cost touchdown in that game is the game. And, you know, it just, to me, it's like, yeah, I know maybe it was a different position because it was a one high safety look, but it always is odd to me when you have a team that's this good and this talented when somebody who hasn't played at all is now all of a sudden a major piece of your defense on the biggest stage for the first time. He had played a little bit. Like he when they they played a fair amount of two high safety against Michigan and he was on the field, I think some. He was on the field in the Big 10 Championship game. He was also hurt for a portion of the season and I think that hindered how much he was going to play. I would agree with you sort of in general about putting a guy on the field for the first time in a game like the Fiesta Bowl. What I don't know, I I think that Josh Proctor had enough experience to put him out there in that kind of game. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. So, and it wasn't. Uh, and sometimes I would take talent over experience anyway. So, I can't remember the exact situation, but I, it wasn't It wasn't that he was on the field in place of Jordan Fuller, I don't play. I think they were just playing with two safeties at the time. And then Josh Proctor ended up in that position. So, I don't know. I, it, wasn't, it wasn't a great moment for him for sure, and it cost him a touchdown in an important game. But I'm, I wouldn't be uh, concerned, I don't think, yeah. because of that. I think Ohio State's got to feel good about what they bring back. If they're going to replace Fuller with somebody, Proctor is a guy that you got to feel good about. Backups, Marcus Hooker, who I'm very excited to see if he ever – even 60% of his brother would be an incredible player. Yeah, um, and then others on scholarship, you wouldn't? No. Yeah. Jeans, man. They're weird. They are. Me and my brother uh, don't look like we're in the same family. I don't know about the, the depth. The depth here, I think, is – 
interesting. I don't know if it's concerning. I, 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 Lathan Ransom, I think, has a real chance to move up. Depending on how healthy Ronnie Hickman is, he's coming up with a knee injury in high school. He didn't play at all last year. Yeah. Um, I would, if everyone's healthy, I would probably assume that Ronnie Hickman has a real shot to be the backup or, or maybe even Lathan Ransom making a move as a freshman. Yeah, they love Lathan Ransom. He's not here. I think I might have written in this that he is here. He's not here. He is still back home in Arizona. He won't enroll until June. Cornerback. Starting uh, outside quarterback Sean Wade and Cameron Brown. Backups, uh, Seven Banks, Tyreek Johnson, and others on scholarship. True freshman, Legend Cavazos. And then the nickel corner will be, um, right now, Amir Reap is uh, who we're slating as the favorite to start. Backups, Marcus Williamson, senior, and Ryan Watts, true freshman. Yeah, and Cam Martinez was not, I thought I put him on here. Maybe he was edited out because he wasn't signed at the time. I would probably put Martinez at the nickel for now just because I think he can play anywhere in the secondary and nickel's a good compromise. You mean like in terms of others on scholarship with Watts? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and we saw um, Amir, um, whose name is misspelled in the story for some reason. Um, sorry to call you out there. It's just payback from before, you know. Uh, no comment. <laughs> Um, but he he got some time too and he was somebody ironically enough and i don't know if you guys know the story but he played at the high school that Kerry combs was the head coach at for like 20 years and he had to go back to coleraine and recruit him out of cincinnati and they were really excited about him i went and wrote an awesome story for cleveland.com at the time about that um and they were really excited about him as a freshman and i thought it, it looked like he was trending towards being passed over and then all of a sudden, he played some pretty big reps this year. So starting at the nickel, they're moving Sean Wade outside. That's the reason why Sean Wade returned for, what is it, his redshirt junior year? Yep. Um, and I think that, like, it's possible that Reap could be in a position to kind of finally realize the potential that they saw in him. I think so, too. Uh, he, he came in when Sean Wade got ejected against Clemson. And they threw right at him, I think, on the first or second play, and they got a flag for defensive pass interference. And that extended a drive that ended up being a touchdown drive. But other than that, I never thought that Amir Reap really got exposed in that game. I think he held up pretty well in a game where like Clemson's kind of conventional passing game wasn't consistently effective. We all know what happened in that game. We don't have to relitigate it. But I'm I'm a little bullish on Amir Reap. You know, you always wonder about a guy who's a senior and hasn't done much yet. But and there's another guy on this list of, who's playing up front who I think you could put in a similar kind of category. But I don't think that precludes a guy from being successful in his final year. And he's been on the field a lot as a special teamer. He's been in that room a lot. He's been in multiple defenses. I don't think he's as, as athletic as Sean Wade. And I don't know if there are some other guys behind him who, whose athleticism might push them ahead of Amir Reap, but I think he's got all the opportunity in the world to win that job. And the fact that he was on the field a fair amount last year and, and always seemed like he was Sean Wade's number one backup, I think makes him not, not quite a shoe in but, but close to it. The thing that I wonder is the, the reason that Sean Wade, not the reason that Sean Wade came back, but like a contingency in Sean Wade coming back is that he's going to move to the outside. And if somehow they play Oregon in the first week, and I don't know who Oregon's quarterback's going to be, but they have good receivers, that could be a potentially explosive offense that could actually test Ohio State's offense in a way that it really just doesn't get tested in the Big Ten outside of maybe playing like Minnesota or Penn State. Um, If there are early signs that this makeup doesn't quite work, if Sean Wade will bump back inside. Or if Sean Wade throughout the year will be some kind of Because your point is that 
Ohio State has more depth at corner, outside corner, position, and they could they yep. would be more equipped to handle that yep. by moving Sean Wade in the back and getting their four best or three best uh, corners on the field at the same time. That position's hard, and we know that Sean Wade's good at it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So who would be your first? Because you have backups, and I know that Kerry Combs is the czar of cornerback rotation. But who, in that fake scenario, because this is a podcast, mm-hmm. um, would you say is the first off the bench? Because I think you and I, when you initially sent this to me, didn't you have seven banks as a starter over Cameron Brown? Yes, I actually. And then I sent you a message saying, is that right? And then we talked about it. I consulted uh, Don Hope's snap counts to see who out of those two played more. Because I do think they're even. Yeah. But I just looked to see who played more. And I think seven banks might have been injured a little bit and probably impacted the numbers. But Cam Brown played a little more. Okay, I, so I that's always the reason them, you flopped them back? I always view them as even. And I, we only listed two starters. If I guess you, I think you could list three. It's interesting because people are wondering about Kerry Combs' philosophy and how he's going to fit into the defense. And that is about like the press man coverage stuff. Like the press man coverage was not a Kerry Combs philosophy. It was a, this is how Urban Meyer wants to play defense. Kerry, you're my cornerbacks coach. Coach it this way. Yeah. And then Kerry Combs bought into that and did it very well. But he didn't coach press man coverage before Chris Ash right. arrived. It was Chris Ash's defense. And he didn't coach it after. So I think he's malleable in that way. But the one thing that was a Combs philosophy was rotating corners. And he had to convince Urban Meyer that that was the way to go. And then obviously it worked out. I mean, it worked out because Kerry Combs just knew that Denzel Ward was better than we knew he was before everybody. Sure. So, like, the idea of, yeah, I don't know. Like, the rotation Whether is, like. rotate by principle or rotate. Is it rotate by principle or rotate by talent? I mean, yeah. that's, like. It's a fair question. If, if Denzel Ward wasn't really good, he wouldn't have rotated, in my opinion. Like, you don't take the best player off the field for fun because it's your tenant. It's a core tenant of your philosophy. You take him off the field because you can put somebody equally or nearly as equally good on the field to play. Mm-hmm. So, like, to me, it's like right now the rotation is going to work because I think Sean Wade is your unquestioned number one corner right now. And, like, if Cam Brown and Seven Banks are interchangeable, then that's the world that they live in. Yeah. But if, like, Cam Brown was also a first-round draft pick along with Sean Wade, like, Seven Banks wouldn't sniff the field because it's his philosophy. I think I agree with that. I don't know it to be fact. And it would be an interesting question. I, I hope we're going to get to talk to Kerry Combs next week on signing day. To, yeah, to, I'm assuming I think we will. A, I think it's the most interesting football thing to talk with him about. Is is whether or not it is a core tenant, no matter what, or you just do it because your personnel allows you to do it. If it's a core tenant, no matter what, I think that's insane. Just voluntarily yeah. taking your best players off the field for no reason other than it's a tenant. Well, the reason would be to say that they're fresh every time they're on the field, but they're also playing less press man coverage. Yeah, and it's not as much of a track meet for those guys as it was when he was rotating yeah. the corners. Pressing is a lot harder than. Every play, too, um, except for the – they don't play receivers the way that they play them on the national scale in the Big Ten, but still it's a, it's a pretty tough thing to do. I'm, I'm very curious, though, to see, like, the <clears throat> continued progression of Tyreek Johnson because he was a five-star prospect. And, like, I'm just wondering, like, if the light's going to turn on for him. Because, like, if you come into your redshirt junior year as a five-star prospect and you're buried on the depth chart, that's somebody that a lot of people have been kind of tracking, and it just – Honestly, been covering this team now for the last two years, going on the third year with him on it. And I don't remember hearing his name once. Like he has completely faded into the back. It's kind of a weird. It's kind of a weird thing. Because usually, it's like it's not crazy that a five star prospect wouldn't play until 
their redshirt junior year at a place like Ohio State, especially considering the talent they've had at this position. It is crazy that a redshirt sophomore who was a five-star prospect doesn't even get talked about. He'll be a redshirt sophomore, right? Yeah. Yeah. Be, this is his, this third, is his year. third year. It's a little strange. Heard I shit w- about him. I wonder, he's uh I think he might be kind of caught in between positions a little bit. And I don't know. That could just mean there in the end there might not be a spot for him. I don't know if he's a good enough corner to be in this mix. And I think maybe he might be a little bit more built for safety, but they kind of only play with one safety. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with him. But it is it is one of the stranger, I think, five-star existences on this roster that I can remember. We have uh, – I forgot that I uh, asked for questions on Twitter. So I want to mix some of these in every now and then. And we sort of talked about this, but Kevin Selder asked us, is cornerback going to be like wide receiver where it's going to be the top corners overall ranked or is each position going to have specific starters and backups, which was the case last year. I don't think he's totally off base because of what I said earlier about Shomade. I think I think this could be kind of a fluid situation, even like a game plan kind of situation where – if you're playing, and I don't, I haven't looked at all the rosters, but if you're playing a team that has a slot receiver that really concerns you, and not as much on the outside, I would not be surprised if Sean Wade just goes to cover that guy that really concerns you. And it just goes back to like the thing that I was most confused about when I was reporting the story in Jacksonville. It's like, what does it matter if you're inside or outside if you're covering the best player? Like to me, if the other team has a problematic slot receiver, like, and then Sean Wade moves from outside to inside to cover that guy. On tape, like, why would an NFL person, like, scout, like, look at that and go, yeah, they needed him to cover their best player? Like, I don't understand I don't why that's I don't think they would. I don't, I don't, they I don't would, know why I, it's a down thing. Cause I, I think the concern would be that if you're only doing that. Because it's not every week you encounter it, especially in the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, I would say it's rare. But, like, the idea of reformatting it, for lack of a better word, every week, depending on the talent they're playing on the other side, makes a lot of sense to me. It makes especially sense to with me, the, too. The, with the rotations are. You can do rotations of positions too. I don't even rotate everything. We should rotate our outfits, rotate our uniforms. <laughs> they didn't. I, I thought they would do some of this in this past season because I remember talking in the spring with Jeff Halfley. He's like, "Oh yeah, Sean can play outside. Sean can play inside." And I thought to myself, "Well, maybe if there's ever a time they can get Sean outside, and at the very least, just like give him some tape out there to help him out a little bit, as long as it's not a detriment to your team, maybe they'll do it." And they never did. It was always Sean inside. It was always Damon Arnett and Jeff Okuda outside, and like that was it. I don't think that'll be the case this year. Did you watch did you watch any tape of the young freshman coming in? Like highlight tapes or anything? Like do you have a feel for like which one you think is going to be the best one? Cuz I kind of want to address the idea of should Ohio State fans be worried that their bottom part of their depth, which is comprised of true freshmen, there's no five-star stud like Jeff Okuda coming in. Mm-hmm. And they're replacing the 17 class now completely outside of Sean Wade, and this replacement class now, which has four defensive backs coming in, including Cam Martinez now, I think, uh, who's the highest rated one that's in there? Lathan Ransom, I believe, who's Lathan like 131 Ransom. or something. He fell a little bit to uh, one, where is he? 167 overall. So that happened yesterday. Yeah, number 11 safety. So that's the highest rated defensive back coming into Ohio. Is that a problem, you think? Unless you consider Court Williams one. He's one sixty-two. Is it a problem? No, I don't. I don't think they're in a position to need somebody to step in because that's the thing about Ohio State's secondary. As good as it's been, and as deep as it's been, and as much as it's churning out first-round talent on a pretty regular basis, on a regular basis, 
How many of those guys played right away and were instant impact players as freshmen? Like, not, I'm not, I'm not, not even not so much brain. saying worried about whether or not they have the depth they needed to play right away this year, even though I did write a story in the fall about the need for them to be game ready because of how much they were losing. I'm just wondering like, if 2022 is going to come around and their secondary is not going to be what it's, we're accustomed to because this class wasn't good enough. Or do you think that these guys are just diamonds in the rough that are going to turn out to be great? I don't think you can assume that all of them are diamonds in the rough. I, I am on the Cam Martinez train. I think Legend Cavazos is a really good athlete. I still don't know what position he's going to play. Ultimately, I think that he's going to start at corner. Um, Ryan Watts is huge. And I, like, I'm intrigued by a guy. that He's like 6'2", 200 pounds. That's a big defensive back. So I, there are like things about each guy to like, but I don't. Like, you can't recruit five guys who are, by Ohio State standard, a little lower ranked maybe than you'd like them to be and assume that all of them are going to pan out because that never happens. But and I was listening to Buckeye talk on my long drive in California last week, and this is a nice thing to say, but they made the point about the running back position, and I thought it was a very keen point. Um, about like the idea that, well, Ohio State's got concerns of running back because all four running backs on their class or on their roster right now were like t- rated 200 and lower. You know, and it's like it's going to catch up to you eventually. And I'm just like kind of kind of I, I believe that, you know, if you go back and you look at the 2017 recruiting class, like wasn't Jeff Okuda like the number eight overall player in the country? It's like no shit. He turned out to be a first round draft pick. He was incredible when he came here. And it's like you can develop, and development's always a huge thing, and I think you've got to trust Gary Combs' ability to do that. But I also think that there is some cause for concern in terms of what this secondary is going to look like in two or three years unless the 2021 class brings in some studs to come in and kind of like, you know, mesh in well with these guys. I think that's a huge position of need in 2021 class. Yes, they have to load up. I agree with that. But I also – it's – and this is assuming that all these guys will be around for another year after this. Like Seven Banks, I think, would have been a pretty highly rated kid had he not gotten hurt. Tyree Johnson, we talked about, is a five-star who's still trying to find his way, but he's a five-star. Marcus Williamson was fairly highly rated, if I recall correctly. I think he was like top 150. Yeah. Um, Ronnie Hickman, similarly rated. Lathan Ransom, similarly. Like, so there's not... Yes, there's not really a five star, but I think if you ha- if you're dealing with talent that's like top 150 or better, you're dealing with the cream of the crop for the most part. So it's not totally bare. Just a lot of guys you don't know much about just yet. So if you're concerned, I get that, but it's not like Ohio State's got nothing back there. There's just a lot of guys you haven't seen anything from. Jeremy Birmingham of LettermanRow.com is convinced that Cameron Martinez is going to be the Super Bowl MVP this year. So um, very, I've seen, a, I've seen a super athletic uh, three-star prospects come to Ohio State and be pretty good in the back end of a defense. So. Yeah, I mean, these guys are talent evaluators. I don't say that we're talent evaluators, and I think that the entire general consensus from anybody who's analyzed Cameron Martinez's tape is that he's been misjudged. So I'm very curious and excited to see how he develops. Um, but I think the back end of their defense is like the problem area, Bill. Do you think that when you look at all the pieces that they have together, regardless of whether or not that comes out the way that, that we put it together here, do you think that this team has a good enough secondary to win a national championship? Because mm. that's what we're doing here, right? Like we're, we're discussing what Ohio State lost and, you know, they lost some firepower there and whether or not this defense can, you know, show up next year and, and be what, what it was last year. It's hard to answer. Like Sean Wade, I think, is a first-round pick. I think Josh Proctor, and it's buying into the hype, has the potential to be a pretty dynamic player. So if you have two guys like that in your secondary, I think you're in a pretty good spot. <clears throat> I just 
it's hard for me to say. I don't know. I I, I know it's a cop out, but like I need to watch them play more and and, yeah. and against better competition before I can answer that question. I I think that they have the talent to do it. I think they have the talent to do it too. But it takes it. But what it takes is they had the talent to get there for sure because yeah. it just it's like the nature that, of the Big Ten. Yeah, that's not even a question. But yeah, I I do think that it's about those guys realizing their potential and mm-hmm. you know. The only thing that I guess you can say is wait to see it happen. But I do think that like the idea of talent on paper, what you see in front of you, is that if things come together, they put get put in the right spot. I feel like it it could be what Ohio State needs, or it could suck. I guess I don't know. <laughs> or or it might suck. Let's let's do the thing that we do where we assume the worst, but. To me, I look at it and I think, well, they don't have the, the firepower that they had last year. They don't have the star power. They don't have the Okuda back there. But if Sean Wade converts well to the outside, Cameron Brown and Seven Banks, both of which continue to development and are used in a rotation that's worked under Kerry Combs in the past, um, Amir Reap steps up and becomes who Kerry Combs thought he was when he recruited him three years ago or four years ago. Uh, and then Proctor turns into a fringe first-round talent. Like that's a, that's a national championship defense. I agree. But... Like you said, you got to wait and see. All right, so now we're going to go up to the front. We're going to do tackles and um, defensive ends separately, okay? Or do you want to do the whole thing? No, we'll do it. Let's do end first, and then we'll do tackles. Okay, defensive end, starters. Um, and this is this people were kind of fired up about. I don't know yeah. if you saw this, but we wrote Jonathan Cooper um, starting with Zach Harrison, and the backups are Tyler Friday and, and Tyreek Smith. Um, and others on scholarship are Javante Jean-Baptiste, Noah Potter, Cade Stover, Jacoby Cowan, and Ty Hamilton, who was the younger brother of who turned out to be maybe a third round pick, Devon Hamilton. Devon Hamilton had a good made senior, a lot of money from a lot of a lot of good senior uh, stuff going on there. And I think the the main gripe from a lot of people, Bill, is that Jonathan Cooper is starting in front of Tyreek Smith and maybe even Tyler Friday. And it's like I kind of agree with that. Like I I think he's fine. But I don't know if he's a starting defensive end on this team. The thing that is always hard with this, and we discussed it last week, is like, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to convey what you think is going to happen? Or are you trying to convey what is going to appear to you on paper when Ohio State puts a depth chart out? And, and this was, I think, the most difficult one to figure out sort of under that scope because they're all going to play. And who play? Like, I think Zach Harrison will play the most because I think he's the most talented. And I, uh, I think he's going to take a pretty big jump next year. He started in the Fiesta Bowl. I think he'll have a good year. I don't think he'll be Chase Young level as a sophomore, but I think you'll watch him play next year, and in, and maybe you can envision him getting to that level when he's a junior. Cooper has not been super productive as a former five-star prospect himself. I get that. He was hurt like all of last year, took a medical or took a red shirt because of it. I think there was a lot of hope that like last year was going to be the year that he sort of – took a jump forward and then he just never could get healthy and I don't know if that's true or not because I don't think we saw him enough to, to make a judgment on that he would not be we just talked about Devon Hamilton Devon Hamilton was not a super productive player for four years well three including a four including a redshirt year and then his fifth year he was awesome his fifth year he had six sacks I think he had matched his tackle total or close to it and matched his tackle for loss total from the previous three years, all in a senior year, and now he's going off to the NFL where he'll probably be a second-day draft pick and, and had a really good senior bowl. Like, guys do that. Yeah, but jo- he, he wasn't – I think the idea of a three-star fringe Ohio State prospect developing over the course of four years and turning out to be awesome as a senior is different than a five-star prospect. Not yeah, but it's also yet. possible that Jonathan Cooper was just misevaluated as a high school prospect. 
I mean, clearly. So, I don't think he's a bad player. He does not. He has not had the wow factor to match his high school ranking. Hundred percent agree with that. Yeah, and I, I don't. I don't want people to think that we think he's bad. I don't think he's bad. I don't think he's bad. I think. He's, I think he's very think important. He's, on like a, leadership's a boring thing to talk about. I get that we don't have to talk about that, but it matters, and he's very important for that. Yeah. Um, yeah but let's not talk about leadership. I if want, you're, I'm just saying that he has a role on this team that matters. It might not be a guy that has eight sacks, but his role on this team matters. Okay. I think Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith will be more productive than him, provided Tyreek Smith can get healthy because he wasn't really healthy all of last year either. So if you have a gripe with Cooper's name being listed first, um, that's fine. I get that. It's going to be that way, I think, when the paper comes out, whenever it comes out in August. But I also don't think it'll be reality. Maybe he'll be listed as an or. I expect like Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith to be their most productive guys and Harrison to be the most productive separate from all of them, I think, by a decent amount. I think that's fair. I I, I, I would just like because like the way I did it on offense, and we did these together. But we when we wrote them, I put like who I thought was going to start. I think Cooper's going to start. Like first snap of the year, Jonathan Cooper's going to be on the field. Who do you think's going to play more snaps next year? Assuming everybody's healthy, Tyreek Smith or Jonathan Cooper? Probably Smith, but I don't think it's going to be a crazy lopsided advantage for Smith. Yeah. And, like, at this position, too, I mean, it seems like a weird gripe because they're all going to play. And the rotation mm-hmm. here is another Larry Johnson rotational situation, so I understand that. But I think, like, symbolically speaking, people wanted to see the young rising star on that. I think it's a psychological thing. People wanted to see. This is the other it. thing this about is that is, too, like, Tyreek Smith, like, I like Tyreek Smith a lot, like, as a person. I enjoy talking to him. I think he's a good player. He hasn't been awesome when he's been on the field. Like, I get it. You just are tired of seeing the same faces out there, and you want a young guy to play to be more productive. And I do think Tyreek Smith is good. That's not what I'm trying to say. But people, like do, this, people do this all the time. Like, like, I want the young guy to play. Well, why? Which Because he's younger? That's your only reasoning? You just want to see somebody new out there? Well, there's that's no, the whole tenet no of, of following no sports. No, that's not true. No, no, people. Production no, should no, no, I'm more just saying, anything. like, people desire the unknown more than the known i mean like that's just the human nature i mean it's part of the reason why people are so obsessed with reading forecasting you know if there's somebody exciting oh, i understand and then when tyreek like smith is a junior they're reading gonna... about recruiting tyreek smith has three sacks in his career he's played in 15 games he has three sacks he's been hurt yeah i don't think he's had a major opportunity to show exactly what he can do but let's not pretend like he's been setting the world on fire every time he gets on the field and it's a travesty that he doesn't play more I think the reason why this is happening, Bill, is because people know what Jonathan Cooper is, and he's going to be what he is. And I think the idea and the um, I don't excite- know if people know what Jonathan. Cooper I think is. I know exactly. I think they what have Jonathan- assumptions I think about what Jonathan is. Cooper is. I think they have assumptions about him. Like, what is Jonathan Cooper to you if things click perfectly? Uh, Jonathan Cooper, if things click perfectly, I think is a pretty good rotational pass rusher. I think he's got a little more to give. Like he's not on the level of like a Tyquan Lewis. I'm trying to think of that rotation. Like a Jalen Holmes type. Jalen Holmes is not super productive in his career, but a pretty good player. I think something like that. And what do you think if things clicked right for Tyreek Smith? Maybe um, a little more like Tyquan Lewis. More Tyquan Lewis than Chase Young. Okay, so like assuming that both have the opportunity for things to click when you put this together, people would want you to. They'd rather see Tyquan Lewis and Jalen Holmes on your list. 
hundred percent. Yeah. But I think the sentiment is like Jonathan Cooper's done nothing. He shouldn't play at all. It's a crime that he that he plays any snaps ahead of Tyreek Smith. And I would say, like, you're wrong. I don't think the gap between them is so wide that that should be the case. I think they should both play. And maybe Tyreek Smith will go out there and prove me wrong and set the world on fire yeah. next year. But he hasn't done it yet. Yeah, and I also think that Tyler Friday has been a pretty productive player, too, and nobody talks about him. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I mean, like, I, I personally think that if you put Tyler Friday there and you put Jonathan Cooper and Tyreek Smith as backups, that they would have been the same. You would have gotten less outrage. I think it... So, like, from the point of Jonathan Cooper is the starter, we're outraged about that. I understand what you're saying, and I agree with you. I'm just saying that I think that the two players behind him have the potential to be better than him. I think they have the potential, too, but that's all it is, is potential. Yeah. But I think all four are going to play. Do you think that anybody else below them in the um, at end, do you think it's going to be a four-man rotation? Do you think somebody like Gene Baptiste can get in there? Noah Potter, Cade Stover, anybody? Gene Baptiste uh, is interesting because he's he came here and had to make a pretty radical physical transformation to play end, and I think he's put on like fifty pounds, and he looks like a million bucks every time we're out there. Every time we go out and watch practice, I look at the defensive end and go, "Who is that?" I was like, "Oh yeah, it's Javante Gene Baptiste." So maybe he's ready. Maybe he's ready to make that. Maybe he's ready to do like what Sam Hubbard did, and finally go through that physical transformation and in his third year, like really become a contributor. So he'd be the guy I'd, I would list first. The other guy, Noah Potter, I'm just not sure. Kate Stover's making a similar transition. I don't know if he'll be ready yet. And then the other guys are freshmen. So, but Gene Baptiste, I think, could work his way in there. Defensive tackle: Teron Vincent, Tommy Togiai are the starters. Backups are Haskell Garrett and Antoine Jackson. Others on scholarship are Jerron Cage, Jaden McKenzie, and Darian Henry. Um, Young, did he add a his Twitter profile? He is his okay. last name is now hyphenated. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know that till right now. So the things you know on this podcast, you know, we're learning today. Um, sometimes players change their names in the middle of their lives. It happens quite sometimes, often. Uh, they go from a fruit to Kareem Felder became uh, what the hell did he? Kareem Felder changed his whole damn name. Kareem Felder uh, signed with Ohio State as Kareem Felder and then played at Rutgers as Trey Avery. <laughs> What was Eli Apple's name before it was Apple? I forget. It was That's a good trivia question and I'm I'm I, I remember what it is. I'm googling it right now. But Darren Henry just added a hyphen. Yeah, just adding a hyphen I mean it's a sign of respect. His name is like John Smith now. Eli Woodard. Woodard. That's, That's right. right. Yeah. I bet you guys are screaming, "We know more than you." You probably do. Forgot about that. Um so this is like a very interesting discussion because you lost a guy like we were just talking about, like Hamilton, who had a really productive interior. You're losing a smaller but effective uh, tackle in BB Landers. But when I look at this, and I and I think both of us hate um, the idea of is this going to be better than last year's when there's no reason to prove it. I I look at this this rotation and I think the defensive tackles, if things go the way that Ohio State thinks they're going to go, could be better than last year's tackles. Especially if Teron Vincent, who walked around in an air cast all year on his arm, is like fully healthy and like learns how to play and the light turns on, like he could go from relatively unknown dude to like all Big Ten NFL draft discussion like in five games. That's all it would take. He was number two defensive tackle in the twenty eighteen recruiting class and just he didn't play at all last year and didn't have a major, major role as a freshman. 
I agree with you that that they the potential is here for them to be better, but it's a lot of it is based on how good Teron Vincent actually is, and we we don't know that for sure. Devon Hamilton was awesome last year, like we said. Jay Sean Cornell I thought was pretty good last year, and obviously BB Landers was good. Like that, those are three pretty important productive guys that are losing from the interior. They're not as deep. They're not going to be as deep as they were last year. But with Teron Vincent and Tommy Togiai at nose, or Teron Vincent's at three technique and Togiai's at nose, Haskell Garrett was a former top 100 player. Antoine Jackson's a former top 100 player. Um, and then they're young after that. So those top four guys, I think, could be could maybe match the production of the guys last year. But I think you also have to factor in that last year those guys were pretty routinely fresh because they really had six guys they could play for most of the year. And I think right now, looking at it, they have four that I think you can feel reasonably good about and then three others behind them. And maybe some of the young guys you've listed at end might – might move inside to tackle too, but that's all youth and the guys who haven't played much. Even Cage is going to be a redshirt junior, hasn't played much. So top, top end is good. Depth, not as good. And I think at that position, depth can become pretty important. But I, I like this group. I like the defensive tackle group. I think it's possible if everyone um, maxes out or even comes close to maxing out, I think this could be the best position group on the team. So who are the four that you feel good about? Sorry, on the defense. Vincent, Togi, I, Garrett, and Jackson. So do you feel good about Jackson? Because I feel like he's just whatever. He played a fair amount last year. There were times where he was on the field, and I was surprised he was on the field, and then I thought he held up pretty well. Um, I think he can pre I, I think he can be a good backup nose tackle to Tommy Togi. Yeah. I don't like he's not I don't think he's great. I think he's pretty good. I don't think he's as good. He's not as good as BB and, and Devon Hamilton were last year. But if to- I think Togi I could potentially be. So, I don't know. We'll see. He was, he's, again, another guy who was very highly ranked coming out of high school. They want, they love them coming out of high school. Went to Auburn and then transferred here. It's mostly about Vincent. It's like we, we always wanted to, to see Larry Johnson go out and get like these top-of-the-line defensive tackles, and like he finally got one with Teron Vincent. And if he's healthy, this should be the year that we should finally see what that looks like. Can I like completely um, make a embarrassing, embarrassing um, admission about myself right now? Yeah, I forgot until right now that Jaden McKenzie existed. Redshirted last year. I don't I mean, played very little bit. I had to so. like look him up. I didn't know who he was from North Carolina. Now I remember he was like a late take from North Carolina, but like in my head, he ceased to exist. Sorry, I was reading a question about the defensive line that I glanced over. It was about Jonathan Cooper from Matt Martins. He said, Ari has mentioned a lack of five-star defensive ends. Can Jonathan Cooper fill that role until Zach Harrison slash Jack Sawyer in two years from now are ready in 2021? Uh, no. I mean, not not. Yeah. I don't think I don't think not in the way that that question suggests, but I think he can be good. But their thing that he failed to mention is filling the gap. Like, Harrison's a sophomore now, so if he is what people thought he was, then the gap will continue. Because it's like the whole thing of, like, and this would be an interesting story to, like, look up, but, like, Ohio State had a top five pick at defensive end for, like, nine or ten straight years. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if Harrison turns into a top five pick, like, that starts now. And it's just like you said you expect him to take a big jump this year. Like, what does that big jump look like to you? Because to me, I I think that obviously you remember how crazy everybody went during his recruitment, and he was rated the number one player for a while in the country, and 
his physical makeup and stuff. I obviously don't know him that well because he doesn't like to speak um, to reporters. But I, I just like what does like his upside? Does he have Chase Young upside to you? Yeah, like as good as Chase. I think he could be. Wasn't he? Yeah. He is an you know, incredible I know, athlete. I know that they they are ranked similarly, but like Chase He's Young, yeah, it? Chase Young's body is just different. I think you will look at Zach Harrison when we get out on the field for the first time in spring football and be saying similar things about him. Yeah, he is freaky, freaky. Yeah. So, like to me, it's like Jonathan Cooper was weighted five star prospect, but whether or not the lineage continues without a break in it is going to be up to completely up to Zach Harrison. It's up to Zach Harrison. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, um, Tommy Togiai, also, I think, being the strongest man on the team, I think he he has a chance to, like, really be an immovable force in there. He was not – he was he was pretty good last year. I thought – and maybe it was just because Devon Hamilton played so well. I thought Tommy Togiai would be the guy that we were talking about the way we're talking about Devon Hamilton last year um, because of his strength, because he's a pretty good athlete for his size, too. He's actually a really good athlete for his size. Um didn't quite happen that way, but now he's got – I mean, he's the guy at nose tackle as far as I'm concerned. They're not going to go out and get somebody else. Um, I don't think Haskell Garrett is quite built to play that spot, so that's Tommy Togia's job. I'm excited to see the interior defensive line. There's a lot of questions. I don't think there's any way that the, the line is going to be better because you don't get better without Chase Young, but I think they still right. could. You can be successful in a different kind of way, even if that success isn't quite the same level. And what kind of success like previous defensive lines – you have to go back to a defensive line that doesn't have a Bosa on it, right? The one that I think I think I said 2016 was like Nick Bosa was a freshman and played, but that was more – it was the Hubbard and Lewis and Holmes and Bosa were the four ends, and I forget who the interior guys were that year. I think BB played a fair amount that year. Um, Draymond played a little bit. So guys that weren't – well, those, those defensive ends are pretty good. They all I mean, they all got drafted. But Nick Bosa was young. It was like one of those things where they didn't have like a a can't miss, no doubt about top five pick yet, even though I think everybody knew what Nick Bosa was going to be. Right. But they did it by committee, and the players that were done by committee, like Sam Hubbard, isn't he like tearing it up with the Bengals right now? And like all of those are NFL players, right? Like Jalen Holmes on the Vikings and yeah, they, uh, yeah, they Taekwon Lewis the Colts. Like I mean, they all like played in the NFL. So the you defensive had a, line. So it was Hubbard, Holmes, Bosa. Um, Tyquan Lewis, and then it was like Tracy Sprinkle, Mike Hill, Draymond Jones, Devon Hamilton, BB Landers. And obviously, the strength of that line was on the outside. And maybe this is a little inverted, but like you said, yeah. there's not, there wasn't a total game wrecker in that group like a Chase Young because Nick Bosa just wasn't quite that yet. He became it the next year. Um, and I don't know if this defense has a game wrecker like that, but you can still be good with that one. Last position is linebacker. Um, Here's a question. Let's kick it off with a question from Gene Nilly. I think I know what it's going to be. This first question was, what's the thing that Ari does that annoys you the most? What is the thing that I do that annoys you the most? Uh, yell my name out loud incessantly all the time everywhere. And also hug me when I don't want to be hugged. I hugged him coming into the podcast. I haven't seen him in a month, and he pushed me. Yeah. Like, is that weird? I don't know. Like, who's the weird one in that scenario? You, right? The one who can't pick up on the signals. Uh, his question from Gene Hilly was... You're the weird one. Is being, quote, pretty good at linebacker enough to beat Clemson in 2020? 
or with a defensive line and secondary taking a step back, and he says losing young Okuda Arnett, do they need elite All-American play at linebacker for once? I think it's a good question. What do you think? Do they have enough players on the roster to do that? I think there is a prevailing sentiment, and I don't necessarily disagree with it, that Ohio State's linebackers last year and all the guys who are returning this year because they're all coming back basically besides Mike Harrison are good to very good in the Big Ten, but not quite good enough against a team like Clemson or if they would have played LSU. And I guess the jumping off point of that is like the screens that they got burned on against Clemson and the Trevor Lawrence run. I think it's a fair question, and I don't I don't know the answer to it. They're all, I thought the linebackers were pretty good last year, much better than they were the year before. But they're all back. And I think it's a similar thing to like Jonathan Cooper. They, people are eager to see somebody new, and I don't know if they're going to. And I don't know if – and maybe it just comes down to speed. I don't know if they're fast and physical enough to win a game for Ohio State once you get to the playoff kind of level. Yeah, I think they are what they are. Now there's room for improvement. I think Baron Browning could make a huge jump. I think Baron Browning's move outside. Moving outside could make a huge jump. Taraja Mitchell is somebody that people have been waiting for, but I don't know. Let's just list the starters first, okay? Yep. So uh, Sam, linebacker, um, which is the bullet position, which doesn't exist, so we're just going to call it the Sam linebacker. Love the bullet. Um, Pete Warner is the starter, backup Justin Hilliard, others on scholarship, Craig Young and Court Williams. Mike, tough Borland, a.k.a. J.T. Barrett or (laughs) Taraja Mitchell. Have you been getting that on Twitter a lot? Yeah, we got a question about it. Yeah, yeah. yeah somebody asked, <laughs> is tough Borland JT Barrett, which I think we should talk about? Everyone thinks, t- yeah. 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 Senior leadership and awesome guy to have on the Three team. Three-time captain. Three-time captain, but in the way of more talented players playing, maybe. Um, or Taraja Mitchell, and you added an or there. Saw what you did there at Allaby. They'll probably rotate. Will Linebacker, Baron Browning, Dallas Gant. Cody's uh, starter is Baron Browning. Backup is Dallas Gant and Kayvon Pope. And other Simon uh, on scholarship, Cody Simon and Mitchell Melton. And when I scream your name in public and it bothers you, do I say Bill or Dollar B? Dollar B. So you acknowledge that that's your name? Sure. Okay. You can have that small victory. Okay. <laughs> Dollar B. Okay. Sam Linebacker, I think, just goes without saying. Pete Warner actually played that position a lot better than I think people gave him credit for. Agree. That's your main tenant. I just copied what you wanted to say before <laughs> you. <laughs> Um, but he actually is sneaky fast and was athletic enough to in coverage. And, you know, you thought that – I mean, the guy basically is the reason why Brandon White's not on the team anymore. So yeah. um, he played well enough to, to do that. And, you know, in terms of Justin Hilliard, I think it's a good six-year senior type of, you know, leadership guy who's persevered and might, you know, be a good compliment there. But I don't know if anybody is even remotely coming close to pushing Pete Warner at all. No, I don't think so. I think Justin Hilliard gets on the field – Maybe when they do that four linebacker stuff, which they'll do a fair amount when they play yeah. on teams. Mike linebacker, tough Borland or Taraja Mitchell. Mitchell. So let's just start with this. Do you think tough Borland's like JT Barrett, or do you think that's just a weird way of? Uh, I think it's a. I think it's a pretty good comparison. Um, JT was more productive, I think, relative to his position than tough Borland has been at Mike linebacker. So you, you might be giving tough Borland a little too much credit in that regard. Um. There's a lo- I get it. He's not the fastest guy in the world, and there are plenty of plays you can send me where Tough Borland's running behind guys that he just can't catch. I get it. Maybe he is JT Barrett. 
I don't think he has been to this point because I'm not sure who should have been playing instead of him. Because if your answer is Baron Browning, I can show you a lot of film too where Baron Browning's playing Mike Linebacker and he runs well and he looks like a million bucks. He's also like in the wrong gap a lot. And like it's part of how it you happened th- in the Fiesta Bowl, didn't it? It's part of how you think the game too, playing middle linebacker. Taraja Mitchell, who was not healthy all of last year, who was recruited, I think, to be a starting Mike linebacker here, who was another very highly rated guy who I have not seen a lot of. I think can be the guy that that makes tough Borland play less at Mike, at Mike linebacker. I don't know if he is. I think he can be. So I don't know. I'm not ready to label tough Borland JT yet until I see the guys behind him actually play. If that makes sense. Because people don't think people didn't think that until they finally saw Dwayne play. What? People did not think that that's JT, bullshit. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. It's all you don't think people were talking about benching him in the middle of the his it was senior the season? The Oklahoma game in 2017 is when it started, but that was based on nothing. And then it obviously gained a lot of steam retroactively after people saw Dwayne play in the Michigan game. I mean, I think it retroactively gained a lot of steam, but to act like people weren't like play somebody else a quarterback for a long time during the back end of his career is like you don't remember them. There was a, it was like a weekly no, discussion. I remember the Oklahoma game. People wondered if he should have been benched after that game because he didn't play well and they lost. And that also happened once Haskins came in for the Michigan game. That's that- what I just said, yeah. I'm not saying people were wrong. It's I think it's not a conversation worth having because there's nothing you can do about it. But, again, it goes back to assuming guys behind him are good. I think Taraji Mitchell is going to be pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the entire discussion of it is, are, is he keeping somebody better off the field? Yeah, and we don't possibly. know, and we don't know possibly. that yet. Possibly, I just I think it's it's very hard for me to just be like, yeah, the coaches are playing worse players intentionally. Like I don't, if that's the case, then get rid of the coaches. If you don't trust that Al Washington and Greg Madison are actually playing the guys who are who have shown themselves to be the best players for this position, like that's a problem. I just think I that just don't know if it's true. Like perception and reality are different even though perception is reality. But there have been times in my time covering Ohio State where the wrong person was playing. Like, Ohio State yeah. didn't go to the national championship game in 2013 because the wrong guy was playing. In, in the secondary, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, Von Bell's a true freshman, should have been playing. And Corey Pittsburgh-Brown played instead and was... Marginal and then got burned in the Big Ten championship mm-hmm. game and they lost to Michigan State because of it. It's yeah, just like, what are we doing? Happens. Yeah, that definitely happens. So, and I, me and you have like, me and Bill have gone at each other's throats about JT Barrett, and I don't want to do that right now, but I, I think you could make the argument that the wrong quarterback played his final year. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. Um, but if you know that Tough Borland isn't the guy, then on a place, and I don't know if we know that, but at a place like Ohio State where they have continually drafted top-end talent at linebacker, including one of the best players in the frickin' country in Baron Browning, I think people are just tired of seeing the same thing when they view him as unfit. I think he ha- – yeah, I get that. And I don't think – tough. here's what I will say. Tough Borland, I don't think, is your start. Every down starting Mike Linebacker on a team that wants to win a national championship. I think that pretty strongly. Okay. I think he has a place in the Big Ten situationally. I think he's shown that. And they thought he had a pretty good, pretty good year last year when he was healthy. But clearly – they get on the team, get on the field with teams that have a lot of speed, and he looks out of place. Don't disagree with that at all. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean he shouldn't play. But if your argument to that is like when the chips are down and you're playing for a title, 
should Taraja Mitchell or Byron Browning or somebody else be on the field? I think you have a compelling argument. For Which that. I think is the perfect use of or. Yeah. Like, I, don't think I think ors are cop-outs, but I think that this or is like a real one. Mm-hmm. And part of it's giving a nod to the potential, I think, that, that a lot of us feel Taraja Mitchell has. Maybe it's his dad. His dad is a pretty good salesman on Twitter. A lot of salesmen on Twitter. Yeah. Um, yeah, just just simplifying it, it is... Um, there's a lot of depth there. Like, There's a lot of young guys here that we've heard pretty good buzz about that have, like, Taraja Mitchell, Dallas Gant, Kavon Pope, I think when they all committed, we all envisioned them being the, the starting trio one day. And I don't know if that's ever going to come to fruition. And I, I guess those things typically don't, even if you want to project out a few years. But this position, more than any, I think I get the sentiment that you would rather rather see some of these young guys because these older guys have played a lot and have just been, like, marginally productive. Although, like you said, Pete Werner I thought was pretty good last year. Yeah, you love Pete Warner. I don't I don't love him. But I think he was better suited to do what he did last year than Brendan White was. Will linebacker. Do you think that that is going to be a a, a platform for somebody that is athletic as him um to step out cuz I feel like the Will linebacker position, at least it's the way it used to be, was a guy who just flies around. Doesn't have to think quite as much as Mike. Doesn't have to be as sound as the uh, Sam. And it's just like somebody who can just go out and make plays. And I feel like that was the position that you know Ryan Shazier really kind of stepped up as a freshman and played really well because you know he was out of place a lot, but at the same time he was crazy and crazy good. And I just don't know like if the change of position is going to alleviate anything from Baron Browning from a mental standpoint if he doesn't have that natural um, understanding of the game the way that some other players do that, you know, could, like, flourish on the field for him. Yeah, I don't – I still wonder about, like, his instincts at linebacker because he wasn't he – was, he didn't come here as a linebacker. He came here as, like, a big freaky dude who, like, kind of played everywhere. Um, what was his, was pre- he a linebacker in his profile, or was he a defensive? Yeah, I think he played. Yeah, but I think he played safety, safety in high school. In high yeah, school a lot, yeah, or an outside linebacker too. I just never really thought he was a middle linebacker, and I guess they put him there because Malik Harrison was pretty good, and I don't think he can play Sam. Baron Brown can play Sam. I am intrigued by the idea of him like being out on the edge, being able to chase down plays, being a little more of a pass rusher. Um, I think that's more of a natural fit for him than Mike linebacker. So why can't he play Sam if he played secondary and just under? Because I, I don't understand that. Because it's just different. Like I don't know how much he was covering people. No, I know. Like, like Sam he linebacker. Have, he Sam linebacker the, has to cover tight ends like man man coverage. I don't know how much he did that. Yeah, I just thought that like the idea of being freaky athletic the way that he was gave him the versatility to be able to do things like that. Coverage is technique, not just raw yeah. athleticism. So I, I think that's probably what it is. I don't know. I think he can chase down plays really well, and he's faster than Pete Werner. But Pete Werner, I think, is a better cover guy than him. Yeah, and I think with with Baron Browning too, it's like he's a senior, and like Tough Borland gets a lot of shit for being JT Barrett, but like maybe Baron Browning is a little bit. Like if he if his light doesn't turn on in his fifth his fourth year here, Bill. I mean, there's a lot of people that want to see Dallas Gant play. There's a lot of people that want to see Kayvon Pope play. Yeah, for sure. Like, 
if Baron Browning is just what he was last year again, then I think he belongs in the same discussion to a certain extent, except, you know, he's got the five-star shield on him. Yeah, and the, the plan here is a little bit off, which I don't think is never a good – the plan was is not for Kavon Pope, Taraja Mitchell, and Dallas Gantt to be in their third years and, like, not starting. It just jammed. It's jammed, and this wasn't the design. Like, if you caught any of the people who recruited these guys in an honest moment, I don't think any of them – and Baron Browning probably the best example – would be here as a, as a fourth-year senior. I mean, they've got four senior starters yeah. at the same position group. That's a very rare thing. Like, I, has that happened at all in the last decade? I mean, I know they had some some senior receivers at the same time, but yeah, like it happened for, at receiver, it happened at receiver. Um, but they also had a really terrible linebackers coach for two years. So, and this is what, also do you think this is the remnants of it. Yeah, they're paying. They're, this is the this is the tab for Bill Davis. <sighs> Because I like, yeah, I mean, like, I remember when they got Dallas Gantt, that was a huge deal. Yeah, and Kevon Pope was a little uh, lower ranked, but he was also, remember in the, in the summer, it was like, yeah, what, how's uh, camp going? Well, Kevon Pope gets nine interceptions every practice. Oh, okay. And then, like, he didn't play. Yeah. So I don't know. Do you think this defense can be good enough? There are pieces for this defense to be good enough. Figuring it and good enough. I'm talking good enough in the sense to win a national championship. Yes, I think there are pieces here. It might be the most difficult job maybe that I can remember either of the offensive or defensive staff having since I've been covering the team in terms of figuring out the right personnel and getting it right. Will Ohio State's defense be A, better than it was last year? No. B, worse or C, the same? Probably a little worse, but it was really good last year. Yeah, I mean, they I'm going to say I think worse number, is the only answer to that question. They finished number one in the country, which kind of got lost in the shuffle of everything that happened. They ended up with the number one defense in the country by both total yards and yards per play, and were top five in scoring, too. They were awesome last year. Like, by program standard, I think, bordering on historically good. Yeah, it went from the worst they went worst, from the worst defense in the history of the, the, history of the program to one, to one of the best. The best. So it'll be a step down, but step down doesn't necessarily mean you can't win a championship. Yeah, step down from one of the best in Ohio State history could still mean top 10 in the country. Yeah, for sure. Do you think this is a top 10 defense in the country, maybe? I think there's a top 10 defense in there, yeah. Somewhere, if they can kind of put it together. Yep. So I wonder, like, well, like, I think we did this last year, but I'd be very curious to, like, break down how we did. Like, how how do you think we're going to do? in terms of, like, hit ratio on, like, the offense and defense depth charts. Because, like, I think that, like, for the most part, the offense was pretty straightforward. Seemed like it. And defense was a little bit more finicky to put together. But I also feel like looking at, at your chart, like, I don't know what could possibly change. I think I think we'll look back on the defense and maybe be a little wrong. But I think I feel pretty good about where we're at yeah. with the offense. All right, guys. Uh, we will be here uh, throughout the offseason. Don't miss us the way I miss Bill for the previous month and if you want to give us a hug I'll, I'll hug you back and Bill will, will push you off um, I'll give you a hug I'll give you guys yeah. a hug thanks Bill um, again we're pleading you rate, review, subscribe if you haven't subscribed to The Athletic www.theathletic.com uh, slash 4-6 40% off um, again we'll be with you all summer that's Bill Landis I'm Ari Wasserman thanks for listening
Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.